0: Uh, greetings everyone, welcome to the third episode of Material Analysis, the podcast. Um, today's episode is called Exit Polls and it is going to be a commentary episode about the slew of exit polls which have come out in India uh, about the uh, 2019 general elections. We have a guest on our panel today, so please welcome Suchitra Vijan. So Chitra Vijayan works uh, for this organization, Police Project. Please check out their website and their work. They do excellent work um, in, in doing research in um, areas which, uh, which lie at various kind of borders where uh, state violence happens and other kind of violence happen. And they do excellent analysis and data work there. They also have the Polish podcast, their own podcast, which has excellent. Um, political content and you should follow that. Um, So Suchitra is here and from our panel it's uh, uh, me, Chandu and we have comrade Pramod. Uh, Just like last episode our other members have not had time to come from their busy schedule and hopefully we will be seeing them soon enough. So welcome Pramod, welcome Suchitra. Let us start today's episode. Um, first of all, I would like uh, Suchitra to tell us a bit about exit polls in general and why the whole idea of exit polls is, to use a word, comrade Jasmine absolutely hates, why the whole idea of exit polls is very problematic. Go Suchitra.
1: <laughs> right. um, again, uh, of the great gifts that the European Western democracies keep thrusting upon the, the rest of the world, Um, I think exit polls, again, take the cue from the British and American politics. And I know it sounds quite appalling to now think about this, but exit polls really didn't exist before the 1990s in the way that we know right now. And it actually starts with the British and then kind of goes over um, to the American system. And then the Americans, of course, take everything and make it worse. What traditionally exit polls have done is that um, you can mirror the growth of these exit polls and what these exit polls mean. Uh, to a certain kind of televised politics. Um, this is the height, um, again, we have to see this with the end of the Cold War and the height of a certain kind of 24-hour news channel coming in. Uh, the amount of money spent on politics increases um, a lot, both within the British and the European systems and in the United States. And what exit polls essentially do is it's kind of uh, reducing the messy idea of a citizen's choice to this translatable um, Uh, predictable model. And if um, anyone knows anything, you will know that political scientists and historians are absolutely useless because you can't predict human nature. You've never been able to. And what has traditionally happened um, following the uh, exit polls in many of these countries is that often it is followed by a certain kind of politics which justifies the electoral choices or the mandate from above. So that's traditionally what exit polls have done. Um, in India, you see exit polls um, and election data uh, pretty much being pioneered um, in some ways by um, uh, NDTV, which first, uh, with Pranoy Roy, which first kind of starts putting out data for the Indian election scenes. Um, I'm sure local regional newspapers have done it, but in a much larger national scale, it's Pranoy Roy and NDTV that kind of starts this culture of numbers and predicting and electoral gain. Again, this also happens in India around the time in which India also becomes more liberalized. You have 24-hour news channels. And here what you really see is that the concerns of politics then again gets translated into a way of reducing everything to a conversation, reducing everything to an acceptable meat bottle. And again, it's taking away the diversity of opinion, the messiness of how people vote uh, and reducing it all to a certain kind of a political conversation again, that is often seen as a spectacle, rather than actually leading to any real um, substantial
0: Fair points. Um, I think even in a very localized context of India, exit polls have had a very patchy history. From uh, like what I can remember, uh, exit polls have traditionally failed to predict um, elections. and. And, and to me, and I have mentioned this in the first episode of uh, material analysis, where we talked about um, centrism, uh, a lot of these exit... a lot of the Wongs, or as they like to style themselves, cephalogists who do exit polls, make these grandiose announcements, and then they are not kept responsible for the political fallout of those announcements. Like. Um, we had mentioned in in that episode that how um, uh, using many exit polls, uh, an entire normalization of a certain kind of politics can be done. And uh, when that doesn't turn out to be the truth, um, how these people can get away with it by saying that essentially it was a bad model, we failed, sorry. So uh, Comrade Pramod, could you take us through a the sort of history of exit polls in specific instances in India and B, what are the sort of uh, statistical, what are like the scientific problems with the way these polls are done? Like why are these polls bad and why are these polls wrong?
2: Okay, so we've had a bunch of exit polls from uh, 1998 to the present. And, uh, okay, so, for instance, the first uh, bunch of runoff exit polls were rather successful in 1998. Um, You had projections ranging anywhere from 214 seats for the BJP and it's, I mean, the NDA to 238 seats. And the official result was uh, roughly, I think, 252. 1999 is actually when you see an overestimation because almost all the polling agencies kind of see the ex- uh, all of almost all of the exit polls uh, give the NDA over 300 seats only the Hindustan Times AC Nielsen gives it at 300 but the others are giving it at 332 336 329 the official result is actually 296 Next, when you see 2004, which is actually the big shocker and, you know, which actually calls all of this into question is uh, most of these polling agencies give uh, the NDA clear victory, uh, except for one NDTV Indian Express poll, which gives them 250. The official result for the NDA comes down to 189. They lose the election. And that's when you have UPA won. Again, in 2009, you have a prediction of a very close contest between the UPA and the NDA. It turns out to be a UPA landslide. Now, coming to 2014, almost all of the polls actually analyze and declare a NDA victory, which is what we know happened. But other than this agency called Chanakya, none of them actually got the figure quite right. I mean, it was 336, but they were predicting below 300. Uh, Chanakya predicted 340. So that's just the history of how opinion polls have gone vis-a-vis elections in India. Uh, secondly, one thing is that uh, generally polling in Westminster systems is not as accurate as it is in uh, systems like the United States where you essentially have, uh, for lack of... I mean, you basically have a... You don't exactly have a two-party system, but you know, for the sake of argument, you have a two-party system. And uh, there you see opinion polls giving you a sort of more or less accurate result as to what might come about and obviously these are not 100 percent accurate they famously got 2016 wrong um, you see these discrepancies coming up in multiple Westminster democracies in fact as of today one of uh, they completely got the Australian elections wrong they predicted a victory for the for labor instead we had the liberal national coalition winning Um Another problem with polling in India is with regards to the diversity of demographics in India. When you have a diversity of parties in India. So at at various states, it's not just the BJP and the Congress contesting, right? You have multiple parties. You have small parties like the TMC or the uh, CPIM or the DMK, AIA, DMK et cetera, who are actually contesting these polls. Secondly, when you are taking these polls, you know, What you know, you also need to talk about representative demographic samples and what has happened. And if you actually go through the methodology, there isn't much on it because the thing is, these polling agencies are extremely non-transparent with their methodology. They don't really come out and tell you what they're exactly doing, what their models are, etc. Because these tend to be closely guarded secrets uh, in inverted commas and as a result you don't even know whether you should methodolo- uh, you know you should trust their methodology or not if we are talking about state level polling sometimes they get it hilariously wrong for instance in 2016 in the west bengal state elections a lot of these polls were predicting that uh, uh, the there would essentially be a hung assembly in west bengal uh, what we actually saw was that uh, west bengal there was a Trinomul congress landslide in west bengal so, yeah <coughs> So as it turns out, you know, from the fact that these don't work very well in Westminster uh, democracies, they don't work very well in India because of a demographic breakup, etc. And, you know, the fact that these polls have been consistently wrong over (laughs) since when we've had them, I think there's a lot of uh, scope to be, you know, to question what these outcomes are, what these polls exactly are.
0: So, I would like to state here very clearly that one sort of deep cynicism about exit polls comes from the fact that, like you have said, their methodologies, their way of sampling, etc., and and their uh, inability to work across various political models, that is a problem. But another thing which we should also keep in mind is that, um, who are the ones who are doing these polls and what is their agenda? So. So Chitra, could you please take us uh, through like from an international lens in various countries, who are the people who get to do these polls and how they might not be the most impartial agencies and what have been historically the political implications of these polls in various countries?
1: Sure. Um, For example, um, the most dire implications have happened in countries that are often in transition. You've seen that in Bulgaria, you've seen that uh, in a lot of the Latin American countries where exit polls often actually led to um, any time people felt there was a very close call. People often, um, there's actually proof since 1986, um, while this applies to opinion polls, also applies to exit polls in some ways, is that people actually don't turn up. Um, often it affects the number of people turning up. This is for opinion polls, not exit polls. Uh, You've seen this in Bulgaria, you've seen this in Afghanistan. You've seen it most often in countries that are transitioning out uh, where the polling is often done uh, by seriously dubious organizations, uh, often related to those who will benefit from a very specific person coming to power. Um, In the United States, what you really see is, um, and again, a more sophisticated form of, um, I could only call it theft, because in the United States, what really happens is that you have the NEP, which is a consortium of uh, six or seven uh, news organizations who together use this polling material, and which is run by the Edison Research Group. So there's one group that has been running this in the United States. Uh, At least in this case, there is some sense of uh, methodology, there's some sense of what's happening But again, you really don't get, um, it feels like an oligarchy because again, it's the the six or the seven news agencies that together work with the NEP, which is then run by a specific uh, polling organization that does that. Um, Historically, what we've seen with all of this is that, again, we cannot take away the deep relationship between um, media and powerful media ownership that influences um, uh, election propaganda. Uh, in the last election, from the Obama elections, definitely Facebook and social media that definitely influences this propaganda. That tied with who are the people running this research, and then how do we, who benefits from this research actually directly affecting who comes to power, how the questions are manipulated. So there is a longer history for it. For example, in Afghanistan, a lot of these polling. Uh, research that many of international news bureaus' use was actually done by this one company, uh, which I was very surprised to learn when I was in Afghanistan in 2011-2012. Uh, this happens in other countries too. Um, in India, again, um, as it was rightly pointed out, we really don't know what's happening because at least uh, in the U.S. we know what the methodology is, we know who the people are, but um, in India we actually don't even have access to that.
0: In India, at this point, um, the news organizations are owned by a very small uh, group of people, essentially four or five people. And, and and while it may seem that you have a plethora of news channels, if you look at their ownership structure, if you look at um, sort of joint structures which go beyond uh, individuals and then go into conglomerates and uh, etc., these news channels, including vernaculars, are owned by very few people. And hence, because these are the same people, remember, who are uh, funding most of the larger political parties. So, um, expecting sort of uh, clear, or impartial or scientific polls is a waste of time. But, but the mere fact of that these exit polls exist, and even the fact that perhaps they might even be right, perhaps, you know, you, they might once in a while get their results correct. I still think that there is a huge problem with them in the sense that they reduce politics to this very gaudy show of electoralism where politics is what what happens once every five years wherein you have these teams fighting, you have your own tribe which has to win and everybody is sitting around cheering for their teams and then the exit polls come and they are like the teaser and everybody gets excited and then the final results come out the exit polls may be right or wrong and then everybody is emotionally exhausted goes home and that is the end of their politics or at least in urban um, anglophonic middle class circles that is what politics is to a lot of people but that is not what politics is and that is not how politics should happen so comrade mm-hmm. pramod let us talk a bit about your thoughts on now that these exit polls have come out and people are reacting in various ways. A lot of people in what may be called a hashtag resistance of India are essentially pretty disappointed. A lot of them are frustrated. They're expressing their anger. What do you have to say about that? What would you tell these people?
2: Uh, I mean, like, that's a very difficult question at this point, considering that, you know, if the results do tally up with the exit polls. On, I mean, like even if the prediction of the BJP coming to power, it would be quite unexpected for many of us, considering that uh, we don't expect these elections to go the way some of these exit polls are predicting in Uttar Pradesh or in West Bengal, or even in Tamil Nadu for that matter, where some of the exit polls are actually predicting the AIADNK-BJP alliance to hold on to a lot of seats one thing is that you know ultimately people will have to stop counting on institutions to essentially you know save indian democracy in quotes Uh, and i think it's time that you know if you stand against uh, the bjp etc you have to understand that ultimately you know you there is only so much that the institutions can do for you you will essentially be having count more on social you have to count on politics that is essentially grassroots politics and you know you have to think of ways in which you know there needs to be a grassroots resistance to this it cannot be a bunch of us just meeting or you know commenting or even podcasting for that matter more of us actually have to be involved with grassroots level politics and i think this is very very important at the whether at the urban level or at the semi urban level or at the rural level wherever you are you need to, if you really care you need to start getting involved so essentially that's so, so
0: you you raised a very important point there uh, this is actually something which the working class indian understands very well that the institutions do not work but the urban middle class has this faith in institutions this extreme faith in the Judiciary, the Election Commission, the, the the idea was always that, you know, when, when majoritarian politics would fail and like, it, it would be the institutions that would save us. But one good thing, which uh, the past few years have made very clear to at least a person who is honestly observing, is that institutions at the end of the day are run by people. And once you achieve... Uh, ideological dominance and and i would i would ask the audience of this podcast to look up the phrase dominant ideology and to read up on what that means once ideological dominance is achieved institutions are only a matter of time uh, so chitra could you tell us a bit about uh, uh, what the election commission has been up to recently like either of you guys because i think that is something the audience should know about
1: right um I also want to link it to uh, another excellent point that was made before, uh, uh, but made by both of you, um, is that, um, look, India can exist as a democracy, a procedural democracy, and not as a constitutional democracy. Right? There's a huge difference between the both. A procedural democracy is when every few years there's a there's an election, you go, you vote, something happens, someone becomes... On the other hand, a constitutional democracy is a lot more complex and messy. That it's not just about procedurally going and casting a vote every few years. That it's not just that the act is done. It's also important that the act is done in a right way. And that's why you have institutions like the Supreme Court, like the Election Commission, which are supposed to be non-partisan neutral organizations and are supposed to always act, uh, legislate, um, not the Election Commission, but the uh, other institutions, act, uh, in some cases, uh, think through and always uh, interpret the legislations in favor of the common man and not the state. And what the Indian constitution in all its imperfections has always envisioned is that even the, for example, the, um, our fundamental rights are always supposed to be interpreted in favor of the citizen and not the state. But increasingly what we've seen happening from the 1980s uh, and 90s onwards, is a, cons- a consistent erosion. And let's not only blame the right-wing fascists on this. All political parties in India, in some way or the other, have be- have a great responsibility of leading and causing to the erosion of these institutions. The erosion of institutions happens with the and the erosion of this. Uh, the Election Commission cannot be spoken without speaking about the election. The erosion of the trust of public faith in the supreme court of india with the election commission very specifically um uh, if this elections again the election this is not the first election which the election commission has favored the ruling party so let's also not think of this as somehow um this is a very specific rss bjpb instance but it's also happened historically in other places in india during other regimes and other parties In this case, um, very significantly, there have been multiple instances during this election when both the Prime Minister, Amit Shah and members (coughs) of the various other BJP alliances have very specifically and particularly said things that actually constitute uh, hate speech. (coughs) In all these instances, nothing has been done. Um, There's also an instance of the Prime Minister shooting down uh, Prime Minister uh, having um, a news uh, a conference in which he talks about the missile shooting on the satellite. And then the Election Commission says that, oh, this was not to do, this was broadcast in a private channel and not on Doordarshan. So it's not a problem. Um, of course, we also have <coughs> instances um, in which there's violence, in that this has not been taken into account, the instances in which people who have voted. Uh, many, many times before from the same polling booth whose uh, IDs have been complete, whose names have been struck off. There have been instances of proof. Uh, There have been instances when the Supreme Court has directed the election commission to do something and they've pretty much stayed back. Um, There are also instances, there are also the larger instance, um, well, this is not directly election commission, there's also the problem of the electoral bonds itself that was thrust onto the Indian public. So this now has to be seen in tandem with the destruction of other institutions you see that with the supreme court for all purposes as just seceded from india Um, the trust in the supreme court of india whether it's a demonetization decision whether it's the Aadhaar judgment whether it's the nrc now whether it's in instances in which uh, the Rafael deal the general trust you know the india's most marginalized the most poor uh, have always been the farthest away from these institutions and they for some reason have a much better political understanding of what these institutions are. I think that is now at a long time low. And I think that is when the question of hope comes in. And the question of hope is very important when one tries to fight against or battle against authoritarian fascist regimes, is also that hope can sometimes be pretty much the only weapon one has, because without that, mobilization becomes incredibly hard. Um, I'm not sure if I've answered all the questions, but I think the idea is that electronic
0: media. <laughs> yes, it's right. Is- no, uh, I think that is an excellent uh, comment uh, you ended with that. Um, so we are not trying via podcast and even with the first two episodes. we The whole point of material analysis is to sort of, in a very unsentimental, in a very material fashion, look at how. Power operates in the social relations of India. We are not trying to make people sad here. Essentially, we are we are not trying to say that you know everything is utopianism, everything is sentimentalism, everything is liberal meh, in a very pejorative sense, and hence all politics is bad. We are not. We are definitely not saying that. So uh, the point of hope is actually extremely good, and hope being an essential precondition to any kind of organizational activity which comrade pramod was talking about so uh, 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 pramod yeah to end uh, to end this end today's episode what yes. are your final few thoughts on what can the average person listening to our podcast do now that uh, now to put it very pithily the faith in institutions are eroding what are the things they should be doing and what are the things they can tell their friends? What are the things they can tell their family members?
1: The so comment, promote.
0: Yeah. Uh, could you like summarize today's episode for us? Is what should be what should be people be doing now? Now that these exit polls have happened, now that there are now that the results are going to come in a few days. What is it that people should be doing? And what is the right politics? Right now,
2: I think you should be getting involved, so in the coming days there are going to be a bunch of protests, there are going to be a bunch of people's movements, etc. that will be coming around. Uh, I can speak for myself personally, if there's an NRC, as Amisha has promised in West Bengal, uh, some of us will be uh, participating in a sort of a civil disobedience against it, and we will not be submitting our our, uh, requisitions to the NRC or applying for clemency under a citizenship amendment bill if passed. So, there will be stuff like that that will be coming up recently. And I mean, like in the event that the BJP comes to power. Even if the BJP does not come to power, uh, this is something that I think people need to understand very well. The act of politicization, the act of these people's movements, the acts of going out uh, to the masses and politicizing yourself as well as them, people around you. Does not stop with the elections. It can be that you know, today the exit polls are wrong and you have a Congress, you know you have a congress Mahad Even then you should not just relax and say, Okay, my job here is done. Okay, I voted now the BJP is out, so you know I can just sit back and relax. No, it's not there will still be issues like the NRC and SM that keep going. you still need to come out and you still still need to raise your voice against these things. And unless you do- very well that this process of growing fascism within India or even these very very institutional issues these will not disappear so it's your duty to come out irrespective of what happens that you have to take responsibility for the politics that goes on in this country not just your personal decisions but responsibility for society as a whole and you have to essentially you know is again repeating ourselves from the first episode and the second episode but you essentially have to get involved in politics, and there's no other way
0: around this. So, uh, so I think we have had excellent thoughts from our uh, guest panelists, Suchitra and from Comrade Pramod. Like, these both very intelligent people have said that uh, democracy is not just procedural democracy. It's not that every five years you go, you do your vote. You get that blue ink on your finger and then you take a photograph of it and put it on Twitter. That's not what doing (laughs) politics is. Doing politics at the end of the day are those three famous words. Educate, agitate, organize. So you should be reading because reading might be useful. If you have the time and the resources to read, you should read. Of course, not everybody has the time to read. People are doing their jobs and everything. But if you have the time to read, do read political theory then using that political education, using that awareness of the world, you will have to go do agitations. Like Comrade Pramod has said, if the next government, whether BJP or whether the other side, tries to expand NRC or does other fascist things, you will have to go agitate. You have to join mass movements for it, right? And finally organize. Individual (laughs) agitation is all fine and good, and it's sexy to take a blackard and join a, you know, (laughs) crowd, but organization is what really matters, like find five more people like you, politicize them, read political literature with them, then find five more people, then go join some local party if you can, or join some mass organization if you can, if there is no mass organization, if there is no party, you like, make your own bloody mass organization, right? Talk to people, talk to your parents, talk to your friends, Trust me, all of these little things, they matter and are actually vastly more important than the important vote you give every five years.
1: Just adding to the excellent summary that you did is that let's get them young, you know, let's get them young, because um, I think a big part of education is also getting them young and teaching them and political, radicalizing people in a very young age, which means that it's harder to, you know, it's harder to take the horse to the pond when the horse is really old. It's it's much easier. Um, that a big part must be to involve young people, even as young as 10 or 12. Um, teach them a, a way of politics, which is already what you're doing. So, yeah. thank
0: yeah, you. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And we agree. We at Material Podcast request our audience. See, a lot of you podcast sharing people, you would be like professionals, right? Generally people who hear podcasts are 20-something, 30 something. but do understand that you shouldn't let your younger friends have the ignorance which was sort of a part of our youth. Like, I think political ignorance is actually a weakness for a person. So if you have friends who are young people, do introduce them to some political thoughts, do ask them to think critically, do make them listen to podcasts, our podcast as well, other podcasts as well. So Chitra's podcast is also a very good podcast. Do follow uh, her podcast on Twitter as well. So we would like to end today's episode. Uh, as again, if you have feedback, do f- give us feedback on our Twitter handle. Feel free to at us. F- uh, definitely follow us, um, spread the word to your friends, etc. Do follow us on SoundCloud. Do comment there as well, what you liked, what you disliked, what comments you found funny. Uh, Soon we will have other uh, regular members in our podcast. Comrade Jasmine is going to come back. Uh, There is uh, another person, there are two people who are going to be joining our podcast soon. Comrade Dilip and Comrade Rosa. Um, And uh, you would have a lot of interesting topics to come. Do give us suggestions for topics you would like us to uh, speak about. uh, Or any shout outs you might want us to give. So thank you everybody for listening to us and do remember, electoralism is a very small part of politics. Uh, The major part of politics is to uh, educate, agitate and organize. Thank you and goodbye. Ramoth say goodbye.
2: Good night.